Hello, and welcome to the e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast, where new and aspiring instructional designers start, grow, and advance their careers. Would you like to become a successful instructional designer? Well, then let's get started. Today, I'm speaking with Miss Danielle Oser. Danielle has come to instructional design on a non-traditional path, starting as a PR agency account exec and then moving on to a corporate communications director, finally accidentally starting a career in higher ed. With her background in visual communication, adult learning, and digital media, she brings a unique perspective to the world of instructional design. Hi, Danielle. It's really great to have you here with us today. It's great to be here. How long have you been working in instructional design? About four years ago, I was asked to convert some of my on-ground classes into online courses. So that's kind of how it began. Uh, it was really an interesting eye-opening experience to take those 16-week in-person classes and turn them into those eight-week sessions. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Especially because they were things like Adobe Photoshop and InDesign, which are very, very technical to begin with. Right, definitely. Yeah, I saw that you were you are into a lot of Adobe. Absolutely. When I went to school, most of the Adobe stuff wasn't really there yet. So I've really been very self-taught. So trying to figure out how to help others learn how to learn those because Adobe is constantly changing. And what you did yesterday might not be there tomorrow. Right. So how do we help learners know how to have that confidence to say, okay, let's try this. I want to try and do this instead. So it's kind of what brought me a little bit to the instructional design side. Yeah, that's awesome. Really cool. What do you enjoy most about being an instructional designer? Well, instructional design kind of happened accidentally as my whole career in higher ed did. Um, did I have a clue what I was doing at the time? No, I knew I was a subject matter, matter, uh, subject matter expert, but I didn't necessarily know how to convert that. So I did work with a team who did a lot of the back end parts to begin with. And how do we decide what stays, what goes? How do we keep those the content similar enough so that people who are taking the on-ground aren't getting more or less than those people who are taking the online classes as well? Right. So I think part of that challenge is what's really interesting to me. That's awesome. Can you describe a typical work day? What are your daily responsibilities? I haven't had a typical day in 20 years. No. <laughs> no. Well, it's everything from like right now, I'm still teaching to online classes. So I'm, I'm in the, that ebb and flow of grading and making sure those put together. And at the same time, you know, what class am I building at the time? So really, I don't have anything typical. Plus, I had two boys who are now in college. So typical is anything from wrestling practice to Boy Scout meetings. So it was constantly, constantly moving. And that's what I why I got into this is because I needed that flexibility. I needed to be able to go to the nurse's office and take people's braces apart. So you just, yes, I actually had to do that with my little wire cutters. <laughs> Two amazingly, amazing boys. <laughs> so I love the flexibility. I love that it's always something different. Right. 
and that I mean that's how the world is coming these days too so it kind of fits perfectly absolutely just agile continuous changing absolutely and I was teaching on ground when we all got locked down so all of a sudden we went from being on spring break to okay, we're going to switch you to this online client, but we've never used it before, um, being Zoom. And then it's, okay, we're not going to be here two weeks. We're going to be here for the rest of the semester. So what had been a lot of on, you know, on ground, helping people, okay, where's this tool? How do I do this? Turned into a, okay, how do I convert what we usually do in class into this hybrid place and so I really saw as my kids were struggling they were in high school they're supposed to be taking AP exams um, trying to figure out how we were moving into that online space really made me want to go in and see okay I need to know more about the education side of this so I actually went back to school at that time to do a master's in education technology okay. so it, it really opened my eyes to see what I'd been doing but giving it actual names Right. Yeah, I know it was just after COVID happened, everything just changed. I think everyone thought it was going to be temporary. And like you said, it's kind of necessary and just it's it's crazy how things have changed in the last couple of years. And you had a high school students. I had a she was in fifth, sixth grade at the time, but just and it was hard for her. Yeah, it's hard for all the kids. And that's it's our jobs to to learn how to bridge that gap but yeah. my one son was taking home repairs and they were supposed to be building sheetrock walls and running wires and how do you convert right. that to the online world and it was not not super well done because there wasn't a lot of time to put the thought into how do we make this work yeah and I think we didn't that's have time now is kind of okay how can we take those experiences and make them work for other people and learn from all of it absolutely um, how do you manage your time effectively speaking of I think that's hard especially because I've been in kind of the teaching mode for so long because there is such an ebb and flow you know assignments come in Sunday night and all of a sudden you've got 72 things to grade by Tuesday so I think it's really kind of keeping an eye on what's due next um i tell my students and my kids all the time, okay, don't freak out. Let's look at, okay, what's due next? What does the rubric say? What do you have to do to get the points? Let's get that done. And then you can add the bells and whistles from there. And I think that's the same with instructional design. You know, what do we need to have done? Okay, now how can we make it fancier? How do we make it cooler? How can we make it even better? Because I think we get so caught up in, ooh, this can be this, this, and that, that we don't meet those basic precedents that are required for the choir for the assignment and you know even in corporate communication I always start with okay so when is this due okay if we only have two weeks then that tells us quite a few things we can't do all these photo shoots we can't build custom sites so what can we do with the time that we have available that's really good to keep in mind yeah and staying ahead of the game especially with so much coming in at us yeah you're right. Absolutely. You have to always remember that. Do you have any strategies for finding employment or clients in this field? 
I've been lucky in that I've been just picking up where I teach. So I haven't really had to go through that process just yet. Um, I know having that network is key. Um, it's still amazing to me how many people aren't using their LinkedIn, aren't using their social, aren't using their the networks that they have because they never know whose husband from the wrestling team is a recruiter or you know who is looking for something. So I think it's really a matter of going out there and saying, hey, this is what I do and maybe I can help you do this. And that's hard. It's really hard, especially as a lot of designers are moving more and more into their home spaces that they forget there's other people out there. Um, I find as I'm teaching my online classes, I constantly have to remind them that there's a person on the other side of the screen who's here to answer their questions and you can pick up the phone and you can call me and I will answer your questions. But they really approach it as a, ooh, it's my computer class. And I think we have to really get over that hump and it's, we're not quite there yet. Yeah, right about the connections and networking, right? I, I agree. And we need to, yeah, I mean, connect, just con continuously reaching out, but uh, but reaching, going back to the question of helping or finding clients, I think you're right all about, it's all about LinkedIn and networking. And well, and I think it's also being willing to put something out there because, you know, as I'm looking, as I have students who are looking for internships, I'm like, well, go to your favorite nonprofit, yeah. look at their website. Is there something, you know, they're constantly looking for help. Can you say, yeah. hey, I would love to put together the social media campaign for you. And if so, can I put it in my portfolio? Yeah, that's, such that's, a that's how you build those, you know, opportunities. If you don't have anything in your portfolio, then find someone who needs something, even if it's yeah how-to videos on how to make stained glass or, you know, some type of hobby. What can you teach someone and how can you use those tools to show someone else that you can use those tools? Yeah, I love that. That's great. We are blessed with our career, with our position, with that, having so many different options and opportunities to help other people. Yeah, I love Absolutely. that. What has been the biggest factor to your success? Knowing that if I don't know it now, I can learn it by tomorrow. I mean, you constantly have to know that, you know, my, I have a degree in digital media, which at the time was a lot of social media and social media changes every single day. So really being able to say, okay, this is what worked yesterday, but this might not be what works tomorrow. So how can I find the tools? How can I find the experts who can help me move this forward? Because I can't know it all. Mm -hmm. How can I find the person who this is their niche? How can I find a way to partner with them? How can I figure out how to do it on my own? And sometimes it is sitting down with an old fashioned book and going page by page and pulling your hair out. And sometimes it's getting someone to show you how to do it. But I think it's not, it's getting over that fear of, oh, I couldn't possibly. Yeah, definitely. Being it, realizing you can figure it out. Absolutely. Sure. What methods do you use to motivate yourself to continue working in this field? I think if you think of it from project to project, there's always an end. So sometimes you get into that, oh, this is going to be really amazing. And then you start go like, oh, crap, this is going to have work. And then you get to this, oh, wow, this is really a lot of work. 
But eventually you get to that, okay, this is coming together. And in the end, there'll be something that's done. So even if it's not perfect, you know, I constantly have to remind clients and students that we can't let perfect stand in the way of done because perfection is not going to work. Perfection is something we can try and attain, but we have to accept that sometimes this is what it is right now. But the beauty of this is it's electronic. It is, we can change it tomorrow. You know, if, if purple's not working, then let's make it green. Yeah. So how can we kind of keep thinking about how to make it better, but learn to accept what we've got right this second? Right. I love that. Just continuous iteration after iteration. Absolutely. Which professional associations do you belong to? I'm still a member of the Public Relations Association. I'm actually accredited in PR because I think a huge part of what we do is public relations. It is how do we tell a story? It is how do we communicate? Because if we just putting something out there, if they don't act on it and they don't do it, then we haven't done our jobs. So sometimes acting on it is getting them to click. Sometimes acting is getting them to complete an assignment. So how do we use those communication skills? Because that's really all it is. It's psychology, it's persuasion, it's not necessarily the information that's on there. It's how are you getting them to go from one page to another? How are you getting them to keep paying attention to that video? And my son had to take a bunch of pre-training before he started college. One was about drinking or sexual abuse or one of those types of, you know, things that incoming freshmen should know. And the survey afterward, I'm like, you can't write that. He's like, well, it was mind-numbingly dumb. I'm like, you can't do that. <laughs> like, how do we make it better? How, you know, that's not how we can talk. How can you give them some ideas to what parts of it were awful? You know, was it too fake? Was it too staged? Were they not speaking your language? You know, what about it wasn't working? Was it too long? So how do we take that feedback and constant evaluation to kind of help figure out where are we going to move next? How can we fix this? Mm-hmm. Because some of it is mind-numbingly awful. Mm-hmm. We've all had to sit through those. How do we make it better? How do we, knowing that we've got to get this information out, how can we do it differently? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important, right? How do we raise the energy levels? How I know. And how do we learn from our mistakes and other people's mistakes so that we don't make them? Um, Absolutely. My my aunt, my recent master's was almost all online. And it was really interesting to see that a lot of what we were learning wasn't being necessarily applied to like the modules and things. And it was really frustrating to say, okay, you're telling us to do this, but you're not showing us that way. So why not? Why are you not taking the time to go back and adapt this? And I know it takes time. I know it takes money. I know it takes energy. And I think a lot of times, you know, just as once you write the brochure, it's done, it's on the shelf, you're done but you can't consider your online learning that way. It's Mm. constantly got to be refreshed. Yeah. And, you know, one of the first classes I built was social media campaigns, which is a great online class, but it's not a sit on the shelf class because it's constantly moving. What you told them tools wise to use might not be there. I mean, Twitter's upside down right now. 
So what, you know, how do you teach them enough of, how do you put enough basic content in there without having to redo it all the time? I know, right? That is hard and that's frustrating. Going back to the iteration after, yeah, just completely. I use a, I use for Adobe, I use what's called classroom in a book because that's what the schools decided. And it's great, except they've decided now to update that every year, which means I need to go back through and re-record all those tutorials. And by the time you're done with 13 chapters, that's a hundred videos. Oh, wow. And that takes a lot of time and it is frustrating, especially when you're like, okay, you changed four words. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, you know, being willing to put that out there, I think is really important. Right. Well, too, one thing with like that, particularly that I'm trying is to do more live. Just, I don't know, that's just an idea. Instead of recording them all, do it live the first time. And then after, and then just keep the recordings of the live. Absolutely. I mean, I just feel like because the world's becoming so fast paced. No, I, I definitely agree. I think there's some things that definitely that fits for. Yeah, no, I know not everything, obviously. Yeah. And you get, you know, that way you also capture the energy in the room. You capture yeah. people's actual responses. It's not someone talking to a screen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. A big difference. Right. What book would you recommend to new and aspiring instructional designers? I think read everything, but there's not necessarily one book because books take a long time to get printed. So it's keeping up with blogs. It's keeping up with industry news. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's tons and tons of stuff about how to tell stories. Um, there's a great one by uh, Caldini which is the uh, influence persuasion. That's not the exact name of it, but it's all about how the psychology of making decisions and how do we persuade people. And though it's not necessarily a instructional design book, I think it's really important to understand how do we move people from point A to point B and how do we push their buttons? So I think influence is really a good one. Yeah, that sounds I want to look into that book. It is. Yeah. Look up, um, there's a great sh uh, short video on YouTube, like the six six steps to persuasion or something. It looks like a whiteboard type of video, but it's, it's pretty pretty interesting to see. Oh, awesome. Oh, okay. Well, is there any, I guess that was the last question. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add that we have not covered? I just think constantly be looking constantly be curious you know join facebook groups join you know those professional associations use that linkedin because you're never going to be able to keep track of all of it all at once so how can you use those other tools um i know on after i made the jillian videos for my classes i actually put them out on facebook or on youtube just because it was a place to host them. And I find that almost every day I get someone who says, hey, thanks for putting this out here. I was really confused about how to do this. So no, I'm not trying to monetize, but I've got a hundred and something videos out there. If you wanna learn how to create some more 
interesting visual communication. If you're trying to play with Photoshop or InDesign or Illustrator, because I think the visual communication part is really, really huge. And we don't necessarily get as much training in that as we need to, but instructional design really hinges on it. So how do we make it better? How do we communicate in ways that are appealing and that are gonna catch your attention? Yeah, that's great. I'm glad that you shared that about your videos. I, well, I had, I was going to, going to ask if you minded sharing about, sharing some information about your free gift with the audience. I think they'd really like to hear more about it. Yeah, anything, you know, everything. Yeah. I, I've got step-by-step -step that follow the classroom in a book. I've also got quite a few that do, maybe you want to be able to add a picture to a image. Maybe you want to learn how to create a really cool logo or create some social media posts in Canva. If you go to my YouTube channel, there's quite a few different options out there, depending on what you're trying to learn. Everything from even little things like trying to put your face on a milk carton. I do have a, that's one of my most popular videos is how to use the vanishing point in Photoshop. So, and I only made them for my class, but at the same time I said, okay, well, this is something that other people can use yeah. and I find that they they get a lot of attention so check it out yeah that's great you're welcome Thank you so much for sharing your story is going to be so helpful for new and aspiring instructional designers and thank you for sharing with us I hope that you have a wonderful day I will have happy to be here Now that wraps up this week's e-learning and instructional design for beginners podcast episode. Now it's time for you to go out there and take action on what you learned about instructional design today. Remember, you don't have to earn another degree and get a formal education in, in order to become successful in the field of instructional design. That's why I started the e-learning and instructional design for beginners. I would love to have you as an e-learning and instructional design for beginners member. My program is a proven step-by-step -step process you can use for a successful career in instructional design and create online courses from scratch. I offer a free membership that gives you the tools and resources you need to successfully start a career in instructional design and e-learning. To learn more, go to eteachonline.com join.